Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. The word ladies and gentlemen is an invention of the great British Empire, so to say, from the Victorian times. That was was invented to give respect to ladies among us, so to say. But somehow, from time to time, the English gentleman, in wanting to boost his ego, will open the door, the wagon, for the lady, and the car, when the car was invented. But the point we must see in that invention was that was not actually to honor the ladies, because it began from trying to honor the wives of the lords, who were also called ladies. And that honor was very great at the time. So, as time goes on, every gentleman in the street wants to be seen as very gentle. And therefore, they will give respect to any ladies they could find, other than their own lady. The lady were to get up in a cafeteria, they walk quickly get up in honor of the lady. And so it is also that wherever they go, it's ladies first. That's where that idea came from. But what you must understand was that it was not really to honor the lady as, as such, because ladies were still very not very recognized in that society, as you will know. And you will also know that even the dominion we are living in today took time for the ladies to be allowed to vote. It was not that easy. It was a great struggle. All the ladies to practice medicine. It was a very big struggle to get there. But somehow we got there. But most of the time, what happened is that in human culture, we intend to try to behave in a way that is acceptable to all those around us. There is a clash most of the time between culture and scripture in some societies. But in some societies, the scripture would kind of transcend the culture. But in some, it doesn't do so because those who are in that culture want to hold on to their practice, whatever the practice may be. And if you look back in time, from the time we call the ancient Near East to today, we're talking of the period where, where we call the ancient Near East was from Egypt to present-day Iran. And in that culture, everything was built around the male. It was patriarchal. And you are, not, you, are not, you are not a strong man if you begin to succumb to the whim of the, of the, of the female. That's not acceptable at all. A man was as, men were allowed to abuse women as much as they wanted because they were down in the class. 
as it is. And also, you will also note that that culture that we call the ancient Near East culture was a culture that Abraham and his seeds all belonged to from the very beginning. They came out of that culture. But when it got to the time of Moses, there was some movement, but those movements were very slight because the, the scriptures, as we read it, never actually give any place to the female because they were still considered just child-bearing and rearing. That's all. And taking care of the male in their, in their environment. And so men, can, men were allowed to acquire as many of them as possible. Doesn't matter. But what happened as time goes on was that that culture began to move. There was movement in the culture. Culture as we know it today are either dynamic or static. And when the culture is static, we know what that means. There's going to be a lot of clash with whatever is new that comes into that culture. So any culture that is not progressive, that culture perhaps will die away. And it's only the progressive cultures that you will see that there's great movement, there's great progress, there's great success as we move on. You, you will see that within the culture also, when we define culture, there are cultures that are transcendent and there are cultures that just static in one place because of their practices. And those practices, the reason why we say they are not transcended in, 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 in modern, <coughs> excuse me, in modern definition is because most of what they practice is not common to other culture within the general public or within the whole wide world as we see it today. But one thing you must note is that our message today it's not that much about culture, nor is it that much about the place of the woman in the church. But it has to actually do with the leadership of the women within the Christian economy. And in that case, you will see that today most of what we do as members of the CBOQ, we do them because that's what is acceptable. That's what the CBOQ does. And so, as members of the CBOQ, we, we, we come in conformity with the CBOQ. And culture, as I've said earlier, because cultures have to, be, have to be transcendent or cultures have to be progressive or dynamic, there are many people that are still left behind within those cultures. Because in some religions, what they do is Oh, we practice the traditions of the elders or the traditions of those who came before us or some we call the traditions of Moses or the tradition of the prophet. That's what they practice. But you will know that when most of us were grown up as youths, we do not have the gaggers that you guys have today. We don't have them. There's no testing. There's nothing like that. There's no laptops. There are no pads. I was growing up, I understand pad as something else. And what you guys understand is 
with today. But somehow, as we go on, you will see that any culture that is not moving, any culture that is not progressive, that culture is bound to have a lot of problems, and we don't want to be there. And when it comes to the leadership of women, the CBOQ recognizes the leadership of women in the Christian society. And that is why they grant credentials to females, just as they do to males. Then that brings us to the point that we need to also confirm with the CBOQ as members of the CBOQ. If we are not doing that, then we probably are not true members of the CBOQ. But anyhow, what today's message is about is the recognition of the ladies, not just as ladies, but recognizing the position that the ladies are supposed to occupy in our society. And because that is what we are here about today, you will see that those cultures that I said earlier that are not transcendent, or those cultures that have practices that are not, that cannot be practiced the world over, though they enjoy what they do, but the whole of the, the, whole of the planet cannot enjoy it. I want to refer to things like, oh, they don't, we, we, in West Africa, for example, they don't play cricket over there. Neither do they play ice hockey. So it is in most of southern Europe, in Brazil, or in Chile or wherever. But you agree with me that football or soccer is played all over the world, and that's a culture that is transcendent, that all of us get into when there's a World Cup. And you also understand that, you also know that when we began this service, Michelle was telling us that some of us are probably at home because we are, we are sitting before our screens watching the finals of the World Cup. The World Cup is played in Papua New, the, the soccer is played in Papua New Guinea just as it played in Moscow or Siberia, or Chile, or the Falklands, or here in North America. Such a transcendent culture is what we should be emulating any time we stand up to talk about what is acceptable in our time. But one thing you must understand, however, is that when we're talking about Scriptures and culture. Scriptures interact with whatever culture it comes into. But in some occasions, the culture does not accept some of the tenets of the scriptures. But in some occasions, it, it gets into it. And we refer to that as contextualization. So also, most of the time, these scriptures that we're talking about create a movement for those who are interpreting it. Because where there's no movement in any culture, that culture is bound to be static. There's no doubt about it. So it is that 
when the children of Abraham move on to the time of Moses, there was some respect built into that culture regarding women and children and even the property they own. But the movement was not enough, as we can see as we go on with this message today. The reason for that was that they were still caught up in that ancient Near East culture of the society or the world revolve around men. And therefore, every, every, other, every other thing else, both male, both women, both children, they all should conform with whatever the men wants. But as you will see, that movement was not enough as we continue to study this scripture today. And most of the point that we are going to look at regarding the CBOQ, our local church, and everything revolves around that idea that we have to keep moving on. Because that's where progress is. I want to read to you again the scriptures that we read this morning. From the Acts of the Apostle, chapter 16, from verse 11. It said from Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight to Samothrace. And the next day, we went to Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi, Roman colony, and the leading city of that district, of Macedonia. And we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gates to the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple clothes. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of the household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Definitely Paul and his entourage, they were persuaded. And they did stay in her house. But what the scripture is trying to tell us here is that in the person of Lydia, leadership was immediately demonstrated after she was converted. That brings us to that city that is called Philippi. In the city of Philippi, the city of Philippi was a Roman colony built around retired Roman soldiers. It was at Philippi that the supporters of Julius Caesar, the person of Antony and Octavian, defeated Brutus and Cassius, who were those who assassinated Caesar. And Octavian actually became the first Caesar. He was renamed Caesar Augustus. But somehow, in that city, it was in that same city that Octavian and the Roman army defeated Antony and Cleopatra of Egypt. And the reason was simple. The Romans did not want the empire divided between them and ladies. Because they feared that Antony would be led by his love for Cleopatra. Therefore, 
their fear was against the leadership of a lady. And therefore, they went to war. And they defeated Antony and Cleopatra in Philippi. And so on. The Roman Empire completely fell under the leadership of male only, emperors only. The reason why we have to examine that is because, <coughs> excuse me, is because the leadership of the ladies, again, was snuffed out by the men of the time. There was no movement at all. Until we got to the Christian era, actually, before there was some movement. But even in those movements, today we still have men who are still holding on to the old, old, old ways. We need to actually look at the life of this woman who was called Lydia. She was a proselyte. Referred to as a God-fearer. A proselyte meaning a Gentile who was converted to the Jewish religion or to Judaism, as it's normally called academically. But somehow, this lady was a European and the first European to be converted to Christianity. But if you look at what happened in verse 13, in verse 13 it was read that on the Sabbath we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. The reason, was that, the reason for that was very simple. Philippi is a Roman city. Therefore not many foreigners were welcomed there. And if you wanted to have a place of worship that is different from the worship of the emperor, you have to have it outside the gates of the city. And not only that, there was no synagogue in the city of Philippi, nor outside of the gate. That comes down to Jewish bias towards the ladies. Because what happened was that without a quorum of ten men, the Jewish would not establish, the Jews would not establish a synagogue. A thousand women or so were not enough to replace one man, no matter how devoted or how devout they were. That again brings to the question the position of ladies in that society. And because that will not happen, therefore, where Paul was supposed to preach or was supposed to talk to, the, to meet Anything, any semblance of the lost of Judah was outside of the city, just called a prayer place. Because you know when Paul goes to every city, first of all, he goes to the lost of Judah in the synagogue, and he will preach to them. When they refuse to listen to him, then he moves on and talks to the Gentiles. But somehow on this occasion, there were no synagogue. Because the Jews would not build a synagogue because there were not enough men there. And because of that, these few ladies who were in that city, perhaps servicing the Romans, were not, were not even recognized or regarded 
Some Jewish men around would have been wondering what Paul was doing with those women, talking to them in the first place. But somehow, he went on, because that was what he, that's what he does, because he considers himself an apostle, appointed by God to preach the word of God to whoever is prepared to listen. And so Paul went outside of the city gates to preach to these women who were praying, or who were praying at the river. At that river, they would go there to do purification or whatever else they were doing in order to be able to pray. And so Lydia, being a fearer of God, would go out with them. But Lydia was a very elite woman. There was no doubt about that because she traded in purple. And purple was a very expensive material or clothing material in those days. And you will see that as time goes on, she became a very good example as to what leadership should be within the Christian society. Here, Paul went on to preach to her. But somehow, in Paul's activity, there was God involved in it. Because without God, it would not have been possible. But before we get to that, we need to examine attitude of the Jewish men. One more time. Because you will see that in Matthew 23, 15, Jesus Christ spoke of the Pharisees who goes, who traveled a long distance to convert one soul to Judaism. Then after that, they put up a lot of roadblocks on the way of those people, making it very difficult for them to worship or even practice what they are preaching. And most of the time, these Jewish men, they know very well the difficulties that they themselves are facing regarding the scriptures. But somehow, they don't care, they just feel they are following the practice of the elders that were before them. Or following the way of Moses. That's what they will say. And you will agree with me that on the day of Pentecost, this is contrast to what the Jews do. On the day of Pentecost, the Bible said there were both Jews and converts to Judaism present when Peter preached to the crowd. And what that simply means was that right from the beginning, right from the beginning, right from the birth of the church, of the Christian church, The message was for both Jews and Gentiles. There was no restriction to it at all. So, getting back to Lydia, Paul and his companion, they were able to make a quick journey from Troas to Philippi. But that quick journey, in those days we call it a quick journey, Took them 200 kilometers, about 120 miles. You can imagine making that journey and not able to have an opportunity to preach the word of God to anyone. But somehow, it is God who makes his word possible to be preached at all times. And so, it was not up to Paul or his party 
to do anything after that journey. Because when they got there, as we were told in verse 13, it was difficult for them to actually find a place of worship. But finally they found one. And when they found it, it was outside of the city. Because the city they were visiting was, predom- was predominantly Roman. But somehow, as we have noted earlier, there were, no con- there were no congregation of Jews there. Because there was no synagogue. But anyhow, Paul and his friends, they spoke to Lydia, and Lydia believed. And the, and the Bible said that God opened her heart. And God opening the heart of Lydia simply means that he was rewarding the work of Paul and his party, having traveled that distance. And that opening of heart is comparable to what happened on the road to Emmaus. You remember after the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, the, the disciples, most of them were confused. The apostles were locked in in some upper room or wherever they were locked in. Fearful and afraid of the Roman soldiers. But somehow, as the scripture said, these disciples who were walking on the road to Emmaus was walking with a stranger. And they were asking the stranger, don't you know what has happened in this city? Are you a stranger to this city? That you don't know what has happened there? They just kept going on and on and on and on and on until they got to their destination and they suddenly, and Christ opened their heart and they suddenly realized, oh, we missed it. We were walking with the Savior on the way and we never knew it. And it is that act of God in opening the heart of men to receive the word of God. That was what happened to Lydia as a result of the preaching of Paul to that lady. And what happened there does not remove the responsibility of the preacher or the Christian. Because the Bible said from the very beginning, how can they get the message? He was talking to Isaiah. Unless someone was sent to them. And Isaiah said to him here, Lord, send me. So that I may be able to be a messenger of your word. And that's what Paul and his party did here. But God, it was God who completed the work. It was not completed by man. It was not done by man. It was the work of God. But here again, you will see that in Lydia's conversion, there's a lot at stake. Because the leadership demonstrated by Lydia in this occasion was very straightforward afterwards. Because the scripture said over there that it said to them, If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. How many of us are going to open our house to a stranger we just saw by the river? Or by Lake Ontario? Or by wherever we saw the stranger, maybe at square one and he's distributing flyers over there. Then suddenly he's probably saying he's hungry. You just look at him, this guy... It's not serious. You walk away. In present day time, there's no way we are going to be able to demonstrate such a hospitality 
or such a leadership as was demonstrated by Libya to Paul and his party. And that is the point we are making regarding ladies' leadership in our society. When I was growing up in most of the Baptist tradition I grew up in, there were deacon and deaconesses or whatever. But most of them were not in position of leadership within the church. And what happened was there is always another layer above the deacons and deaconesses that actually make decisions for the church. But in some of the churches, that is the final, and is the final point of, lead, of, of, lead, of lay leadership within the church. That's all. And in some churches, it was just a, a question of honor. Not a question of calling those ladies to service, but a question of honor. Oh, this lady has been in this church, has served this church for so long, blah, blah, blah. And therefore, in her 90s, she's appointed a deaconess. And then she's not able to actually do nothing. Because she's already too old to do anything. But somehow, we are called upon today to examine the leadership of Lydia. It happens to fall upon me to be able to talk about this because of my involvement in the eldership of this church. I happen to be the chair of it. So that responsibility to talk about movement within our local church became my responsibility to do. I don't have a problem doing that because the CBOQ already does that. As I said earlier, they grant credentials to both male and female within the CBOQ. Therefore, it's our responsibility too to conform with the CBOQ system as it is presented to us because we are bona fide members of it. You will see that the view of things is exactly the same as Paul have it from the very beginning. Because he will say to the Corinthians, you are saved by grace. In Christ Jesus, there is no male nor female. He advised. We are all saved by grace. And there is no other way by which you are going to be saved anyway. Not because you are a male, not because you are a female. <coughs> Sorry. Not because there is anything you did that warrants your salvation. And that is why Paul said, in Christ Jesus, there is no male or female, no free or slaves. You are all saved by grace. In 2 Corinthians, Paul wrote again that 2 Corinthians 4, 4, he wrote that the unbeliever mind is darkened by the God of this world. We are definitely not unbelievers. All of us who are sitting here. And the reason why Paul wrote that to the Corinthians was because he knows from experience that it is, the, that it is God who opened the mind of any human to be able to have the ability to believe in God. Then in First Thessalonians 1 sees Paul was to write again 
conversion, when the gospel comes to them in words and power and Holy Spirit, happens. In other words, conversion will not happen without the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the point Paul was making here. But again, that responsibility of the preacher or the responsibility of the evangelist or the responsibility of the missionary is not lessened. Because we are still called to be missionaries. The church is called to be missionary at all times. But the point is, if we are not empowered by the power of God, we will not be able to do nothing. We can travel from here to India, can travel from here to China, can travel from here to the Orca Indians in the Pacific Ocean or the Easter Islands you will not be able to do nothing without the power of God. So leadership then rests in the power of God. That's what Paul is simply saying. Because he was to say, again in 2 Corinthians 5.20, he said, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be ye reconciled to God. He was not begging anybody because there was something he was going to gain from anyone. He was not begging the Corinthians because there was something he was going to gain from them. He was begging them because that was the responsibility that God gave to him. It's a position of leadership that God gave to him. And he does not also remove his responsibility either. His responsibility to go ahead and beg those people because God called him to do so. So the conversion of Lydia then was immediately followed by her hospitality, which is a great leadership demonstration by Lydia. She was not merely following Christian practices of being hospitable as Paul advised in Romans 12.13. When Paul said that we should share our material goods with those who teach us the written word of God. But that's, what, that's not what she was doing. What she was simply doing here is that she felt a need, she felt that leadership situation in her heart, that she needed to take that lead if Paul and his party does not see it. So she quickly took the lead. And Paul quickly recognized it as well. And therefore he didn't hesitate. He did not hesitate to, to respond to what Lydia was requesting. So the question is then, do we hear the voice of God when we are called to move from whatever tradition we are holding on to or from whatever tradition we think we belong to from the very beginning? Then do we listen? Do we obey his commands? You will see that Paul and his party, they obeyed God's command to go to Macedonia. Hence, Lydia was converted. And so also, after Lydia was converted, it was God's command she was responding to in her heart to become hospitable to those men of God who came to bring the gospel to her. And we have a lot of record of Lydia of what she did later in the letters. 
as a congregation, as a church, as members of the CBOQ, are we ready to heed God's command to go to where we have never gone to before? Because that's what I hear from some most of the time. Mm, that, that place will be difficult for us to go to. Others, oh, we've never done that before. And some will say, oh, from the tradition I came from. You are not saved by tradition, you are saved by God. And you are saved by grace. Therefore, there is a need for movement. So you are called upon today to make that movement in which God is calling you to move. Because if you were to look at this congregation today, if we were to close our doors because there were not enough men on the pew, many of us would be surprised. Because as I look at the pew, there are more women sitting down here. There's no doubt about that. And every Sunday we come here, same thing. There's no doubt about that. Not just because there is camping going on in Pinery. That's not the case. Every Sunday you come here, there are always more women than men. And that's the reason why we need to move. That movement is movement that we are called upon to move by God and by his grace and by his power. And I pray that we should be able to make that movement because it is very, very important that we make that movement in order for the scriptures to be fulfilled in our life and the life of this church. Shall we pray? God, I pray that you should continue to open our hearts to the progress of the Christian message. And it is very important that we open our heart to you at all times. Therefore, we pray that you enable that to happen by your grace. Because we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.